Welcome to the Gill Athletics Connections Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Cunningham, National Sales Manager for Gill Athletics. Our goal today is to connect you with coaches from around the world to learn their journey, share their stories, and just figure out who they are and what they're all about. So without further ado, let's get on and find out what today's guest has in store for us. All right. Welcome back to the Gill Athletics Connections podcast. I'm super excited. You've seen him on the marquee, the name of the podcast here. Help me welcome Mr. Brian Kula. Brian, how are you, sir? I'm doing great this morning. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing fantastic, man. It is a beautiful day um, and I get to talk to coaches for a living. So <laughs> I, I'm not sure I have a bad day to be real <laughs> honest with you, man. Good real for honest. you. Good for you. Uh, Brian, you uh, run your own business here, Kula Sports Performance. Uh, I want to, before we kind of head into your history, maybe talk to us, what in the world does that mean? What is Kula Sports Performance? Sure, yeah, we know we're, uh, we're an environment uh, where we work with athletes um, from the youth all the way up to the professional level of uh, athletic development, um, power output, strength, speed, you know, all your standard uh, athletic development uh, programming. Um, here in Denver, uh, South Metro, the Highlands Ranch area, we have our own facility uh, that we just opened about a year ago um, and are in the process of expanding right now. Uh, needed some more square footage. Uh, we've had had a little bit of success in um, growing that business model and, uh, you know, not exactly uh, being 48 years old, you know, to reinvent myself where I, uh, you know, thought I'd be headed. Um, but after a long coaching career and um, working with some professional athletes, this was just kind of the, the natural segue into my next chapter. Yeah. Hey, that'll be interesting to explore as we go through your history. Um, you know, I didn't find my career, this, this is my third career, right? So I didn't find this one until 30 years old. And I thought that was like, you know, society tells us we have to have it all figured out by 30. Like if you don't know what you're doing by 30, you, you've lost. Right. Uh, yeah. So it's always interesting to hear about, you know, as we get to 40, 45, we're roughly the same age uh, yeah. to reinvent and uh, do something, um, you know, tangential maybe, but still different sure. than what sure. we did. Yeah. That takes a lot of, uh, a lot of guts, man, your own business. That's a yeah. big deal. Yeah. Not a lot of people reinvent themselves at 48 years old. Um, but there, there've been a couple different attempts and, and, and maybe kind of the, some, just some seasonal, uh, like you said, kind of a segue uh, where it just worked out the way it worked out. It wasn't like it was intentional, but it's been really positive. And, um, you know, again, I started coaching at a young age. And so that that let my career kind of run its course and still have maybe some, you know, few few holes on the back nine here to to do something cool for, you know, hopefully many more athletes. And you talked about your it's sports performance. So you're working with, uh, I'm guessing here, football, basketball, track, uh, kind of all across the, the board. Yeah, we, uh, I mean, we, we pretty much work with any athlete, any, any, any human that moves. <laughs> uh, we are definitely a speed priority, especially with my background in track and field of speed development and feeling like that's a major component to, to all athletes. And so we've, we've taken some of those concepts and principles and applied them to swimmers, golfers, uh, hockey players. Um, and then if your standard, you know, basketball, football, baseball athletes obviously benefit from it, but uh, we've seen a huge benefit from even, non-land sports like swimming and, and hockey uh, where, you know, we're seeing increases in skate speed just from some of the speed work we're doing uh, on the ground. And, and then the weightlifting component, we've tried to change the, the, the model a little bit of how that's done with athletes um, and tried to break the mold a little bit from old school uh, stuff that's happened for a lot of years. And so that's kind of where our, our, our footprint is right now, but yeah, any athlete that, that moves, we feel like we can help. 
I like that definition. If you move, we, we can help. <laughs> so sometimes pretty, I, pretty good client base. Yeah. Sometimes I get up in the morning and I can't move. I, yeah, you know, right? that, that's where I need help at, man. And uh, so talk to us. You talked about the facility that you started and uh, opened up now, and then you're expanding. Maybe talk to us a little bit about that process. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it was roughly about a year and a half ago. Um, I had been training some professional athletes kind of as a side hustle uh, in, in conjunction with my high school coaching job. And that went really well. And so we started getting a little more attention and, and you know, clients that wanted us to work with them. And so uh, we ended up with an opportunity to go into a facility and, and share some space with uh, uh, another group that, that actually has a national presence. Um, and so we took about 6,000 square feet out of their building and started operating of January of last year. And uh, it went really well. Um, you know, things we've had good retention and, and, uh, and through that processing in the summer and everything, we've had to, had to grow a little bit. So we've kind of doubled our square footage. Um, but then also our relationship with that uh, group, it's called Cheer Athletics, has a national presence. They have about 12 facilities uh, in the country. They're a national franchise. And we've formulated a partnership with them to go into their facilities across the country and provide a similar type of training for their athletes. So yeah, we went from a, you know, a little startup first year sports performance business to, you know, potential national franchise kind of situation. Wow. So uh, we're still kind of working through the weeds of that. And it's, it's really in its infancy. We'll open our first one up in Rochester, New York here in about uh, three or four months. And then Charlotte, North Carolina, beyond deck next. Um, and then we're looking at some of the locations down in Texas as our kind of our next swing. So just as they are ready and we are ready, you know, we're going into those different places and, you know, figuring out how to duplicate ourselves uh, across the country. Yeah, Rochester, uh, I, I went there for the first time, I guess, two years ago for a site visit for the NCAA. St. John's Fishers was hosting. I'd never been to Rochester. Yeah. That's a cool area, man. Like It really is. I, yeah, I, I had never been to uh, upstate New York ever in my life, just in and out of Manhattan, you know, and um, got to go there. They'll, they'll have a location in Buffalo as well. And so there's there's kind of a, you know, a presence up there. And, and I, it's it's afforded me some travel and I met some really neat people and, you know, really forced me to kind of uh, expand my mind a little bit on how to, you know, we're still trying to do it well here just in Denver. And now, and now we're trying to duplicate ourselves. <laughs> and you mentioned that that part of the business that's called cheer athletics. Yeah. Cheer athletics. It's a, it's a national organization. Um, their, their mothership is in Plano, Texas, and it's a huge organization of cheer athletes and they do elite level international world uh, competition kind of stuff. And again, another example of athletes that are benefiting from our training system. Yeah. That's uh, what I was going to ask. Just, yeah stability mobility the way we teach them to push through the ground i mean we, we treat a cheerleader very similar to a, a sprinter um, of how we how we train the the body and the energy systems and what we're finding the feedback we're getting from the coaches is they're getting much much better performances and ability in their you know uh, uh tricks or, or whatever you want to call it that they're doing uh they're, they're getting much better at that through the training yeah i uh you know i'm not going to uh upset the entire cheer community. So I'll keep some <laughs> of my good. opinions to myself. However, uh, I remember watching once on ESPN, uh, I think it was called, so, you know, you know, the normal cheer, right? The 10, 15 sure. different uh, groups and they do some amazing, I mean, yeah. it's athletic. Let, let me just yeah. put that out there. It is athletic. It's, it's yeah. unbelievable. The most athletic I ever saw though, I saw, I don't remember what the actual name was it. Maybe it was called partner cheer. So it was okay. one guy and one girl. Yeah. And it was, it was un, like literally unbelievable. I mean, the guy is throwing her around and, and she's yeah. wrapping around and it was, yeah. like, I was like, Oh, you want to, if you think cheerleading is not athletic, 
watch this and right, tell me right. you don't see everything that we do in like a sport like track and field, you know, movements right. and twists and turns. It was yeah. unbelievable. It's amazing. Well, next, next go around, it's going to be an Olympic sport. And so they've actually elevated it to, to that level. And, you know, and I didn't know a whole lot about it. I've been an athletic director and oversaw cheer and palms and, um, you know, it's a much different environment. And, uh, you know, what we've seen is, is a highly athletic, you know, athlete that, um, again, they move and can benefit from some of the things that we uh, enhance for them. And there's some strength movements involved and explosive power and, you know, all the same things that you need out of a thrower or a hurdler or, a, you know, whatever. So um, it's been it's been really a, a, a unique, cool ride and met some really neat people involved and really didn't have any any uh, presence or, you know, uh, vision of this, you know, launching like it did. But I think that's where, you know, you just put your faith in, you know, what's out in front of you. And, and uh, so it's been a really neat opportunity. Uh, we've met some great people and I think we're helping a lot of athletes. Well, you know, we believe healthy things grow. So growing yeah. is good, man. Congratulations. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's a little bit scary at the same time as uh, exciting, right? <laughs> exciting and terrifying all in the same sentence. <laughs> that also sounds like parenthood now that I think. Yeah, about it. <laughs> that's true. Well, let's take a step back, Brian. Let's talk sure. about that's awesome what you're doing now. And just, you know, want to bless you as you continue growing and working with athletes and other coaches around the country. Let's take a step back and learn more about you. And uh, you have, you're doing a lot of good things with basketball, football, track athletes, cheer athletes. It sounds like maybe this was all kind of grounded in track and field, though, which yeah. makes a lot of sense for all of us that, you know, everybody's shaking their head right now listening like, yeah, of course, that's how the, that's fundamental to every sport. So maybe let's take a step back. When did track and field become a part of your life? Was it uh, were you a high school athlete, middle school athlete, not a track athlete at all? Where does it start for you? Yeah, I was. Uh... I mean, track and field's kind of been a part of my life uh, since I was born. Uh, my dad was a coach. Oh. And so really, you know, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about mentors and, you know, people who are influential. And I, I really only have one person to point to and credit for, you know, me being involved and stuff like that. And that was my dad, who uh, was a, you know, high level athlete himself, multi-sport in college, Hall of Fame guy, uh, who was a pole vaulter and played on the football team. And you know, did all these things. And so when I was a little shaver, you know, we were, we were involved in track and field and, um, <clears throat> we used to, I used to kind of tease people and say that I, I thought I went to the university of Oregon cause he was such a big, you know, Phil Knight, Bill Bowerman, you know, kind of guy. And so we always kind of followed Oregon cause track and field was such a big deal, um, up there. And so, I mean, even from a very young age, you know, I was traveling the country to junior Olympic track meets and, um, you know, I was in a club that was about 45, 50 minutes away from my, my, where we lived. My mom would drive me down to track practice, um, you know, a couple times a week in the summertime. And I was really pretty deeply rooted in it from an early age. And I just loved it. I loved the, the way the sport was set up, you know, it was very social. Um, there were girls and boys and, you know, there was just like this kind of family feel and, um, loved, loved the competition side of it's me versus you, not, not, you know, a team or anything like that. And, and I'm a big team guy. And even my track programs would say that we're a big relay, you know, kind of scenario and love the team aspect. Um, but there's just nothing like lining up to run the 110 meter high hurdles, you against seven other guys. And so, you know, uh, I was a three sport athlete in high school, but I would say that track and field was probably where I had most of my success. Did you, you mentioned Oregon and of course, you know, it's track town USA, but yeah. did you, did you grow up in Oregon or where no. was your, or did dad no, go to school the, there? That's, 
No, that's the irony. We, you know, he, he, we all went to Northern Colorado, my mom and dad, uh, me and my brother and sister, and yeah. uh, we're a Colorado kind of based family. Um, but Oregon just had that, you know, from, a, from the seventies on, you right. know, they were, they were track and field kind of the birthplace of American track and field. And so we just, I just use that as a funny example of it yeah. is track down USA. And I, you know, sometimes I feel like, you know, I may have graduated from there, but uh, I've only been on the campus for track meets. <laughs> so, right. um, so it's interesting to explore this, your dad's a coach. And so, so can I assume he coached you like maybe in the high school level at least? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's one thing we talk about athletes that are dedicated and coaches that pour into them. Uh, and in 99% of the cases, you know, that coach goes home to his or her family and the kid goes home to his or her family family. You are the family is the coach is the track coach is the track family is the track team. What's it like, especially you you made it sound at least like your dad was like a a pretty high level athlete or uh, specifically track and field. So what's it like being the coach's kid of a dad who was a great athlete who's coaching? What's that kind of environment? And how do you deal with it's always on, you know, you're, you're going home with coach. Sure. Yeah, no professional development from the time I was about 12 years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was formulating ideas, I think, and in, in training and, you know, uh, just, just in coaching, I never really even considered doing anything else with my life, you know, cause I was watching him and I pretty much grew up in a weight room or a, or a gym or a track, um, you know, kind of following him around and, uh, I mean, it was very special, you know, obviously relationship to, to be able to, you know, have your dad be your coach. And it doesn't come with that. It didn't come without stress at sometimes, you know, it's hard to leave it, leave it at the track or leave yeah. it on the field uh, when you came home. Um, Cause he had high expectations. And, um, but I think all those things kind of molded, you know, what I was set up to do uh, moving forward. And he was really good about, you know, involving us kids with what he was doing. And like I said, I just, I mean, I'd leave school as an elementary age kid and go hang out in his office and watch him coach basketball and football and track. And, so I had a, a great role model and example of, you know, a guy who, unfortunately he passed away about four years ago, but, uh, and never really had like huge achievement in, in, in regards to worldly success and, you know, state champions or national champions or anything, but the guy impacted so many people and kids. And it just, it just really, I guess, you know, showed me what was important about coaching. Yeah. I was going to say, I was going to have to challenge you there, you know, because, <laughs> you know, I talked to coaches, you know, beyond the podcast, right. This is my whole life as coaches, right. Specifically in the sport of track and field. And sometimes we get, I'm going to say caught up into that. If I'm not the head, co- if I'm not a coach at an LSU or Oregon or Texas, I'm not having success. I'm not impacting, uh, you know, I'm not doing, I'm not successful. Right. Uh, and it's actually the exact opposite. You know, we have coaches in, Little town Alabama, little town Colorado, uh, middle of nowhere Texas, which is the most of Texas, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, but you know where you are at today. Whether you have one kid you coach, a hundred kids you coach, you're affecting young people's lives positively. Uh, and what's awesome about it, you know, in a, in a math perspective, is that one to a hundred kids goes on to become doctors, fathers, mothers, lawyers, cl- grocery clerks, etc., business owners. And they affect people positively. So your dad uh, may not have coached a world record holder, but hold up your hands if you have never coached a world like most of us right now are holding our hands, right? That's a you know that's a point oh one 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 oh one percent, right? But your dad had huge worldly worldly success, man. He first of all, just in your own life, man. Look where you are today. So I always want to challenge people when they say, ah, oh, you know, we, we didn't do X, Y. He's like, no, 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 no. You are doing. Yeah 
so much more, having more effect on the world, honestly, than, than right. someone who you coach in the fastest human uh, out there. So did you, as your dad was a pretty good athlete as well, did you feel any pressure, whether it was from him or just internal to do the same events that he did as an athlete, or did you kind of go your own route there? You know, uh, he did a, he did a wonderful job as a, as a parent of allowing us to kind of pursue what we wanted to pursue. And uh, I mean, I had some opportunity to play a little football in college and, you know, dabbled in basketball and did different things. And I kind of picked, you know, track and field as my, as my, uh, I did decathlon. So I was actually a decathlete nice. and that wasn't anything that he had ever done. You know, he was just kind of a standout jumper hurdler type guy. And um, but he allowed us, I mean, his, his only ask was ever to whatever you were going to do, do it to the best of your ability, you know, kind of a concept. And so, uh, you know, he would stand behind us no matter what it was that we wanted to do. It's just, you know, you weren't going to do it halfway. <laughs> so, you know, I inherited that as a, as both an athlete. And then I think that carried over into my coaching career as well. That's a heck of a trait to pick up. That's, that's a yeah. good one. Yeah. Yeah. So as you, you mentioned, you went to Northern Colorado, right. For college, yeah. as you were transitioning from high school to college, where were you in your headspace for a career? Was it like, yep, I'm following dad's steps. I'm going to be a coach or, you know, a lot of us rebel when we're kids, right. Or was it like, I'm going to do the exact Op, whatever the, I don't know what the opposite of, what is the opposite of coaching accounting? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> computer programming. I don't know what the exact opposite is, but uh, what, what were you thinking at that point as you start going into college for career? Yeah. Uh, I hundred percent honest. I never had a thought of doing anything other than being a coach. Um, I mean, from the time, and I really didn't do any coaching per se in high school, you know, I was an athlete and did all my stuff. And then I went off to college and I mean, I immediately enrolled in kinesiology classes and I was, I was going to head down the path of phys ed. And, um, I just loved sports. I loved athletes. I don't know that I knew anything different. My grandfather was a coach. My dad was a coach. Um, it was, I guess you could say it was in the blood and, uh, you know, when you don't have a lot of examples of other stuff, you know, like, Hey, like you said, my dad's a banker, my dad's a car salesman. Uh, we just didn't ever even see that as an example to even be in our or on our radar. And so it was always just coach or bust, you know. Um, and then, you know, and, and again, you know, from him in high school and growing up to even my college coach, Scott Hall, who's now at High Point University. Scott uh, Hall was your coach. Scott Hall was my college I coach. I love Scott Hall. That's <laughs> awesome, man. What a great guy. So, I mean, you, so knowing him, you'd know then that I, you know, I, I was very, very blessed to be, go from my dad into the, you know, the tutelage of, of Scott Hall and, um, you know, a guy who gave you the shirt off his back to, you know, and just all he cares about is, is, you know, human interaction and development of character and athletic ability. So it, I, I don't know that I had much choice, Mike, in uh, <laughs> what I wanted to do with my life. Right. I just had all these people around me that um, that's what they did. And I saw great things out of it. And I just looked up to those people of, you know, how they impacted others. And that's what I wanted to do. Well, as soon as you said Scott Hall, I was like, oh, the decathlon makes so much sense now. Like, oh, you, you didn't have a choice there either. I get no, it. No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Scott was one of our, uh, back when I coached, uh, I was blessed to be the USATF junior elite high hurdle coach. So we got okay. to bring the top five high hurdlers in this country that were 19 and under out to Chula Vista at the Olympic yeah. Training Center. And Scott was the decathlon. And also, I think maybe the high jump. And so their group was out there with us for a few years uh, at the same time. So that's how I got to initially know Scott. Yeah. What a great, I mean, just energetic, 
yeah. uh, always, I don't want to say always on, but at least from the outside, always positive, ready to coach. I mean, he'd, yep. he'd yep. coach a, a dog to, to high jump if that's all he had in front of him, man. He would just get it done, man. He's, he's great. so cool. That's great. Uh, shout out to Scott Hall, man. Love that yeah. guy. So you, uh, you said you immediately enrolled in kinesiology. It was coach or bust. Did that go all the way through college? And that was always yeah, the I had a. I had a little blip on the radar about my, I think it was my sophomore, maybe my junior year where I thought, mm, I might want to make some money. And of course I had some, I had some friends that were in the business school. And so I took a hot minute to look at, you know, maybe switching majors and doing some business stuff, but it, it didn't last more than a couple conversations. And thankfully, you know, looking back to almost 30 years ago now, uh, so thankful that that didn't happen. Um, and so, yeah, stuck, stuck the course and, and finished out my college career there. And then uh, was fortunate enough to, you know, stay on with Scott for a couple of years there and coach collegiately while I was still competing, trying to, you know, make sense of a professional track career for a couple of years. And um, and then I got a, a job at the local high school um, there in Greeley. Greeley West High School was my first first high school job. And um, so I got to stay close to home and, and kind of get that going. And that's where I started my family and whatnot. So that was kind of the, the next step in the profession. What did you find the most difficult going from an athlete, specifically a, a decathlete, right? So you're kind of like to be, a, I was almost going to say to be a good decathlete, but even just to be a decathlete, you've got to, you've got to be a gym rat. Like you've got to always be doing something. You're, you're throwing, uh, you know, knocking balls for javelin. You're throwing medicine balls for everything. You're running, you're jumping there. there it's it's a hundred days, hundred hours a day to just, yeah. just to be a decathlete, not even to be a great one. Right. <laughs> so as you move from decathlete, college student, uh, et cetera, to now, okay, your coach, like you're official. Now it's coach Kula. There is no more Brian, right? It's coach yeah. Kula. You're in charge yeah. of, you said high school. So you're in charge of 14 to 18 year olds. What did you find the most difficult to make that switch from athlete to coach? Uh, I think just my, my own natural competitiveness. And I, and I, of course I let that bleed out about 15 years of jumping into, you know, all comer meets and coaches races and things like that. Cause I just, I loved to compete and I, you know, I was, I was probably pretty average talent wise, but I, but I had a good work ethic and, and I could just, I could almost outcompete anybody that, you know, lined up with me. And so that, that was hard to let go of, you know, cause I, and I think I found it later in coaching where I could find that competitiveness with, you know, uh, I guess maybe coaching against the other coaches or, or, you know, competing with myself of trying to make the kids faster and whatnot. But, um, that was probably the toughest transition for me. was just letting go of the, you know, waking up on race day, you know, jitters, butterflies, and then going and, and competing. Um, I mean, I think I'm getting close to 50 and I still miss that sometimes, uh, so you figure out different ways to channel it, but I think that was probably the biggest, you know, I guess transition. Um, and, and I, we did it, I did it pretty seamlessly. I mean, I, I kind of continued to train for another eight to 10 years, just kind of recreationally and, and it would jump in with the kids and workouts and stuff like that and, and found a little bit of that, but, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a tough transition for all athletes. I think yeah, it's coming across very strong that, you know, competitiveness winning is a, as a, maybe not winning, but the attempt at winning, like I, yeah, I want to sure. win. I obviously don't always win, but I sure. want to, if, if I'm not going to win, it ain't going to be because I didn't do something, didn't focus on something, didn't try to outwork you. Right. So that's, that's loud and clear. How do you, you know, it's, it's always fascinating with someone in that realm. We're, we're fairly similar in that realm, yeah. you know, guys like us, not everybody's like us, right? Some people are participating specifically on the high school level. Some people are competing uh, on their high school track team because of the social atmosphere. They, they sure. want to be part of a team and they 
can't play football or whatever. Uh, I play football and I kind of sometimes wish I didn't. My, and when I wake up with my knee, right? But um, uh, and some people are out there. I saw this on Twitter the other day. This kind of like, yeah, I haven't coached high school in 20 plus years. That tells you how old I am, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but this kind of blew me away. Uh, someone, I wish I could remember who it was. If, if this is you, hit me up on Twitter at Mike Cunningham and make sure I give you attribution for this. But they said that a kid, so it was a high school coach, a kid came up and said, hey, I want to I wanna be on the track team but I don't want to compete. I don't want to go to the meets. And that really blew me away because I was like, wait a minute. First of all, we're not a fitness class. What are you talking about? You want to be on the team, but not compete. We're here to compete. But I didn't know that and that 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 was a, a, a thought process for people like, oh, I want to be, and no one does it for football that I know of, right? No one says I want to be on the football team, but you know what? Friday night's I don't want to play. Um, <laughs> but so what I'm getting at here, sorry, Brian, I'm kind of no, all over the place on this one. But Brian, so as a as a as someone who, you know, deeply values competition and trying hard and going for the victory, um, how do you, how did you deal with this is more macro, not necessarily specifically in your first coaching job here, but more macro here. How do you deal with you have to have had athletes that were not Sure. that way and just you know hey I'm, I'm competing if i do good i do good coach but uh, i'm not going to kill myself for it how, how do you deal with that as a coach yeah uh, i think it took years of maturity to reach a place to fully understand that and and handle it and and um embrace it at some level uh, i think right out of the gates i'd probably you know love to go back to those first five classes that i coached and apologize and you know because i just i couldn't wrap my head around that i, I couldn't understand why a kid would miss a practice right. or you know not, not want to compete in everything. Um, so, you know, you, you, you work through and you grow and you get, you know, your kids grow up and you, you kind of start to be a little more mature as a person. And you start to realize that not every kid wants to be a champion, not every kid. And, and there's, there's a ton of value in them just being on the team and training and, you know, growing from the things that you're teaching that aren't necessarily going to make them a state champion, but, you know, it's going to help them in, their accounting class or in their marriage or, you know, things like that. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting older now and I would have never been able to say that, you know, 15 years ago. Um, But it's just, I think that natural process of growth and, you know, even as a coach and recognition of, you know, every kid, every kid's valuable um, and you can, you know, you, they can, they can improve not only on the track or in the field, but they, you know, just as a human um, just by being involved in your program. So I think, you know, if I learned anything, it was that, you know, every kid matters um, and you can, you can help them grow regardless of how talented they are. Yeah. That's a, that's a big deal, Brian. I'm glad you said that out loud for everybody. If you heard that hit the rewind button for about 30 seconds and listen to that again, because I I understand, you know, I was a coach, same thing, you know, you want everybody to be the conference champ and go to nationals or go to state and be an all, all state, all American, things like that, but that's not everybody's path. Right. right. And, and that doesn't make their path wrong or incorrect. Right. In fact, if you can't, I like how you holistically, you're like, Hey, you're here to make them better humans. And isn't our sport like perfect for that, by the way, yeah. I mean, our sport is the greatest example of tall, short, big, small, white, black, brown, that you can succeed. You mm-hmm. can get better in track and field. There is an event for you absolutely sport right so it's the greatest like backdrop of life that there is uh than any other sport out there football might be the closest but i I still think track is it has more of those opportunities right so i love how you verbalize that about you know hey i i know it's my life i i love track and field and coaching 24 7 but i get that it might not be number one in your life your priority is a little different 
but you have a spot on the team and you have me as a coach. Like I can still coach you to improve that. that that's highly valuable, Brian. I love sure. it. No doubt about it. Uh, and I also think in the, and it's probably because it's personal for me as well, that um, I, I go back, you talked about your first five classes. You're like, man, if I could go back to them, like, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Right. Uh, I, I do this. Yeah, I'll run into when I first started coaching high school early, I coached for 10 years. And the first two years were high school every once in a while, you know, once a decade, I'll run into an old athlete, whether it's on oh. Facebook or something like that. And literally the first thing I say is like, Hey man, I just want to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I'm not sure how you survived. I'm not sure how you actually improved. Uh, yeah. I guess that just proves that luck is part of it as well. Uh, sure. But I am so, so, so sorry. Um, so I love that. You know, I, so I kind of think like if you're at some stage in your coaching career, I don't know if it's 10, 20 years, wherever it might be, but if you, if you don't have that same thought of like, Oh man, yeah, if I could go back, then, then you may not be improving <laughs> the, sure, sure. the way you should be. So yeah, I, start, I start every, every conference I speak at off with like, man, no, no matter where you're at in your career, those first few years are, you know, can be rough. And yeah. uh, I mean, I, I look back and knowing what I know now and go, Holy smokes, what was I doing? What was I thinking? How did we get a kid through a season without being injured or, you know, getting right. better. And um, you know, it, it is what it is. And I think it's just evolution, you know, so how many years were you there at Greeley West? I was at my high school career, went five years at Greeley West High School. Uh -huh. And then I got a job in Denver at Littleton High School and was there for seven years. And then Valor Christian High School opened here in Highlands Ranch. And I was there from uh, 2008 until this past May. So 25 years, the high 25, school. 25 years of high school. Yeah. So that's, first of all, kudos. I love that. You know, we, before we hit record, you know, we were talking a little bit about the difference between um, and not the difference, but, you know, talking about the, the stages, right. Of coaching yeah. high school versus coaching college. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think you have a, maybe a greater opportunity, at least maybe volume wise and even where they're at in their life to affect young people's lives, right. You're dealing with 14 to 18 year olds versus 18 to 22, uh, generalized there for, for college. So 25 sure. years, what, what did you see? You know, 25 years. So you see two and a half decades yeah. of kids, right? So, I mean, you've got kids now that you coach that are, I'm gonna call them full-fledged adults, man. They got careers, Absolutely. children, families, yeah. et cetera. They've, they've, they've experienced, uh, you know, heartache and uh, successes in their, you know, their personal and private lives. Yeah. What have you seen, <clears throat> if anything, a difference between a kid 1995, a kid, an 18 or a 14 year old freshman comes to join the team versus 2015, a 14-year-old freshman comes to the yeah. has, has there been a difference? That's a good, that's a great question, actually. Um, haven't thought about it a ton that way, but I would say that, you know, the, the first thing I would say is 14-year-old kids are still 14-year-old kids today. You know, um, I think they're very similar. They have the same needs. They have the same issues. They have the same, you know, stuff going on. I would say that society has changed enough over those years that I've been doing it that, you know, there's certainly different pressures and you know, uh, social media and, um, mental health and, you know, and all the things that, that we're seeing, um, filter into that, that age group for sure. So I think there's a lot of pressure, um, to do well and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, on, on one hand, I don't think a thing's changed for them. High school kids are high school kids, uh, no matter where you're at. And I've been in many different demographics and areas of, you know, at least in Colorado and, and seen a lot. And I got good friends that coach in on the coasts, you know, from, North Carolina to California and 
I've been around their programs and they're all the same and we all have the same problems and issues and successes. Uh, but I do think that society's probably placed a little bit more visibility on, you know, are, are you good or bad? Are you, you know, acceptable um, and all that kind of stuff. So I think they deal um, with some stuff that, that if as a coach, you're not at least trying to build those kids up and, and shield them and shelter them and, and, and not, not protect them, but maybe arm them with the right kind of stuff. Um, you know, it, you may have a little bit bigger challenge on your hand. You know, my personality doesn't allow me to do this, but sometimes I want to respond back on Twitter when I see the tweets of like, you know, today's kids are soft or, you know, back in the day, uh, you know, true grit and toughness was taught more than it is today. Uh, Cause I don't, know that that's true. I don't know that I believe that. Yeah. Um, I think it's just different, right? Like one of my favorite people in social media is a guy named Gary V. And he has this statement where, you know, this quote uh, where he talks about, you know, we like to demonize the present and the future. We like to talk about, you know, Facebook is the end of the world and the end of face-to-face -face communication and cell phones and, and you know, technology is going to ruin us all and then uplift put on a pedestal of the past, like, oh, you know, when I grew up or my dad's yeah. time and you know, it's the old, uh, you know, walk, walked up the hill both ways to school type of thing. Um, but I don't know that that's true. You know, I think, first of all, I'm glad I didn't grow up with social media. I'm glad I didn't grow up with someone being able to see everything I ever did. And then the flip side, I'm glad that I wasn't able to see right. what other people faked or real put out there. Right. Um, I just don't know. So I like how you put that about, you know, a 14 year old kid then and now has a lot of the same pressures yeah. and yeah. yeah they're they're I mean they're more or less the same um but again you know there's so many more opportunities and you know I look at like helping kids with college recruiting you know over the last five seven years and man the 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 way that they're able to see the country and the you know the access that they have oh yeah uh, to things I mean I I probably had a 40 mile radius bubble around my high school of, of schools I was looking at and, you know, able to go visit and see and stuff. And so, you know, a lot of that's changed. Um, I think how, how kids are approaching life and stuff. And, you know, of course, everyone needs a scholarship and has to be the best at what they do. And, you know, parents spend a lot of money. I mean, heck, I'm in business with, you know, for parents and clients that, that you want to want to spend money to reach their maximum potential. And, those kind of environments just didn't exist a whole lot back in the eighties and nineties when I was, you know, an athlete. It, it, you talk about the environment there is the environment changed or has the access to information changed? And what I mean by that, I'm going to ramble a little bit so you can think about that question sure. is you talk about everybody wants, everybody wants a scholarship, things like that. And you didn't know much outside of call it hundred miles from your house. Right. Cause you didn't have internet and things like that. Mm -hmm. But now we do have that, but did, but, did all those things still matter back then? Like if, if I only knew colleges in Colorado, if I grew up in Colorado, I only knew Northern Colorado, Colorado State, UC, and I'm probably missing Colorado Mesa, the billion other schools that are there. But did I still, I, I wanted to earn a scholarship, but I didn't know about scholarship at Florida Gulf Coast Academy and Texas Pan America. So has the environment changed or is it just more of the access to information? Gosh, I think I think the answer is yes to both. I mean, I really do think that, you know, be, because there's more access and information and knowledge and, you know, every kid that gets an offer, it gets blown out on social media. And so there becomes that like expectation or jealousy or um, comparison, you know, going on. I mean, when I was in high school, I, I didn't know how good I was. I mean, I, honest yeah, to God, right. I, you know, I knew I could 
fare pretty well at our league and at the state track meet, but I didn't know where I fit in nationally or, you know, and kids nowadays, I mean, they, they click on mile split, they can know their national ranking in 12 seconds. And so I think, yes, the environment's changed. I think the, because of that, it's caused like kind of expectations to be altered, um, you know, and in, in some, in, in great ways, not that it's all bad. You know, I think social media gets a bad rap. Sometimes it's, it's a wonderful tool at some level, you know, I've stayed connected with former athletes and, you know, you, you see what's going on with other people. I think it enhances um, what you're doing as a business or a coach or whatever. So it's not all negative. Um, but it, it certainly has, there, there are some negative components just like anything. Yeah. I love people that demonize social media because, you know, and I've said this probably every episode, I'm a huge advocate of social media because I believe in communication and social. That first word is very big to me, social, right? So, uh, you know, when everybody, and everybody says it kind of like you say, for people who think social media is good, they'll say, yeah, it's good, but it has its bad parts. Well, you know, everything did, right? When we first, when we first got our, do you, did you ever get a a phone uh, in your own room? growing up oh, oh yeah sure I remember that was a big deal big right deal. I, didn't have, I didn't have yeah. to you know you for, it started with you know the same lines i had to yell at mom to get right. off the phone so i talked to <laughs> you know my girlfriend or whatever and then it became my own line well then you still had people you know other other i'm gonna call them friends other high school mates would call you and prank you there was still bad yeah there right i mean yeah. in text messaging yeah. there's bad there's bullying and stuff in text messaging so everything sure. has a bad component the sure. good news is if we focus on the good, I think that out that, that pushes back the uh, the bad. Hey, let's let's leverage twenty five years of high school coaching mm-hmm. uh, against some uh, college coaches. So there's a lot of college coaches that listen. Uh, we're probably about split fifty fifty high school and college coaches with our sure. listeners here. What have you seen different? Let's let's stay with the athlete first as the coach of the athlete. What have you seen different in that recruiting aspect? Um, whether it's so we already talked a little bit about more information right so they know there's more uh programs out there that they don't have to they're, they're not limited to the 20 schools that are in colorado like they could go to all the way to new york and maine and everywhere else has a track program right what else has changed uh from the kids and parents perspective recruiting over these 20 plus years yeah i think i mean in the sport track and field specifically it's uh i mean it's changed in my mind a little bit of you know it it's taken a lot of any subjectivity that was out there whatsoever out of the game. I mean, uh, a college coach would pull up the internet and get real, real results from many years of history and see trends and things like that, which in my mind, I mean, and I never, I, I coached collegiately, you know, as a young buck, but um, had I ever been a college coach and done recruiting, I feel like your job gets a lot easier of, you know, you still need to vet for, you know, what's the kid going to turn into? What are the next four years look like? How high is their ceiling? I mean, character, all those other things, but in a sport that's so, you know, stopwatch and tape measure uh, driven, it's pretty easy, I think, to at least filter down and, and, you know, and then vice versa, it works good for the athletes too, because I think they can, you know, not waste a bunch of time on schools that, you know, hey, pull up the conference results in the, you know, Pac-12 and find out what it took to make the hurdle final. And if you're, two seconds off that don't call those guys <laughs> probably not going to be very interested. So, you know, I think it's probably helped streamline it a little bit. I would think um, just that, that access to information. Um, 
And then, you know, for, for coaches, and I'm always really empathetic to college coaches. They just, I can't imagine how much, you know, I got some good buddies that they travel, they're gone 50 out of 52 weekends and, you know, to not have to get on an airplane and go, you know, visit a kid and, and see them run or whatever, because you can pull up four years of, of, you know, data, probably a great thing for coaches and families, life balance kind of stuff where you can still get a good product, you know, on the track and stuff like that. So the next uh, college coach I have on, I'm going to have to ask that because all I see is more recruiting traveling. I mean, yeah. what you talk about, you said that, and I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. But I still see, you know, they're going to every USA Juniors, Junior Olympics. Uh, they're going to all, you know, state meets. And it's like, but when you said that, it's like, oh, that does make more sense. Like you do have more data there yeah. uh, and you have maybe better access to other, you know, physical data, height, weight, et cetera, uh, training age. Maybe you don't have to see all of it, maybe in specific events, right? Like, so the 100 meter dash, well, that 100 meter dash is the same 100 meter dash as you're going to be in college, maybe hurdlers and throwers because of height and technique. Yeah. If you see a kid throwing, I don't know, 50 feet in the shot and they, you know, they're terrible form. You're like, Oh, okay. Well, if I clean that kid right. up it's right. 60 feet or whatever, but yeah, it's I'm, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's still no substitute for seeing a kid live and, yeah. you know, a, a, you know, home visit in a competitive situation to, to, you know, persuade a kid to come to your school, yeah. I'm sure is still highly valuable. Um, but I would just think on the initial vetting of, you know, Hey, where do we start? You know, class of 2027, where, where are we headed? <laughs> I would think that you could at least get your list formulated, you know, a little better than you might, might've been able to 20 years ago when you didn't know about, you know, little so-and-so in mm -hmm. dunk nowhere. So, yeah, I, I think maybe that you hit on the head there as far as, I think it's more of, Oh, I, that kid needs to see me. That kid needs to know, yeah. see, look, I'm at your state. Yeah, yeah, look, I'm sure. also at your AAU regionals or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Where, where do you sit on? So there's, I, I always enjoy, I kind of sit back and just eat popcorn and watch these discussions on social media. There's two like hot button topics when it comes to recruiting and it's, it feels like it's almost split 50, 50. One of them is what, what's your feeling, Brian, on the kids and when they get an offer, uh, from a school, you know, they, they, they put, they put the graphic up now, or, you know, now you see, you know, Brian Kula, my top four are, you know, probably Troy university and three other schools that are going to lose or whatever, you know, that's where I went to school, Brian. So I'm always going to plug Troy university. <laughs> Attaboy. I like um, it. What, what were you on that side of like kids having to tell everybody every time they get an offer or whatnot? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's funny because, you know, I'm probably getting to that, you know, part of my career, I call myself old school, you know, are, are, you, that, are you the old man shaking your fist to get off my lawn? Yeah, Is that where yeah. you're getting to? Okay. Yeah. I mean, my dad was a, you know, when you score a touchdown, you hand the football to the official and act like you've been there before that that's how I grew up. And mm -hmm. so I think it would have been tough for me, you know, to, to be blasting stuff out like that, but you know, you just have to kind of look at the environment that we're in and, you know, it, it's a competitive deal and, and kids are, you know, trying to get additional offers or, whatever. And it's there, the platform's there and they're kind of following in everybody's footsteps. So, I mean, is it necessary? Probably not. Um, but it's, it's kind of the trend. And, um, I mean, my, my kiddos went through it, you know, I had a, a daughter that went and played college soccer and my son's in a prep school right now for basketball. And so they're, you know, I can see the value in them posting things and, um, drawing some attention for other coaches or, or organizations and whatnot. So, um, again, just another one of those things that have evolved and I don't think it's all bad. Um, there's probably some in there of, you know, hopefully people are still speaking into them of humility and, you know, things like that as well. But, uh, you know, it's, it's not all bad. I, I never thought about, you know, I, I don't put my mind in the 18 year old 
head brain space there. I never thought about the like, oh, this is going to help me leverage to get other offers. Yeah. Maybe there's a dream school that just has an offer yet. Maybe if I sure. showed them, yeah, I never thought sure. about that aspect. And, and the Trek one always kind of gets me because, you know, we, we do a lot of chopping up of scholarships. So it's like, right, right. Like, like, cause it's the opposite for me when I see a, a news article about, you know, Jimmy signed a full scholarship for football to Troy university. And I'm always like, yeah, yeah, it's only full. Like you don't need to say yeah. full, like, right. Right. It, it wasn't like some kid also got a 50%. And so Johnny's better. Cause he got a hundred. Yeah. It, it's all full. So on yeah. the track side, I'm always like, when they're like, yeah, thank you for, you know, I'm, I'm so proud to announce I got offered by XYZ and it's like books. It could be books. We're paying for books and books and fees. Yeah. It'd be books. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, but so you mentioned your daughter uh, is playing or did play collegiate soccer. Yeah. She just finished up a career. Yeah. He, she had a semester to play and, and banged up her knee again. So she's having a kind of a career ending knee surgery this week. Oh man, that's tough. Dang it. <laughs> did she go to Northern Colorado? She went to John Brown university down in Arkansas. Oh, yeah, yeah, Played yeah, down that's great in, school. in AI school had, awesome. a, had a great career. That's awesome. So did she, when she was going through, so that's not four or five years ago that we still had Twitter and Instagram yeah. and everything. Yeah. Did she post, I got an offer from John Brown. I got an offer from Northern Colorado, wherever. Did she post all that? She did. She did. Yeah. It was, you know, it's kind of the, I guess the thing that kids do nowadays. And, and she, she didn't really shop around too much. She was injured in high school, which kind of limited some opportunities. And so John Brown stuck with her and, and that was kind of going to be her choice kind of exclusively. So it wasn't as big of a show. Um, but uh, yeah, she was excited to share, you know, and then I think too, it's, it, it works conversely with the school itself. I mean, the school wants to be excited about signing a, a top athlete. And so they are going to encourage the kid and retweet and, you know, do all the things to draw attention to their program too. So it's at the end of the day, I mean, even though the, the kid might be doing a little self-marketing, it's a marketing tool for the university and, and yeah. things like that. So, you know, fair, I'm a business guy, so I get that. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> uh, okay. So that's one topic I'm recruiting. Here's the other hot button seems to be 50, 50 split down the middle. Still talking about recruiting okay. here. So a kid goes on a recruiting visit. And now a very cool thing, very hip traditional thing. And that probably started with football and it's definitely gone down to track and field. I'm not sure if other sports have it as well, but when you get there, you put on the school's Jersey oh, uniform yeah. and you take pictures. Yeah. So this is a hot topic, right? There's 50% of the coaches are like, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, help them envision being on the team and, um, you know, help them be, feel like they're part of the team already. And it's social media cloud, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. The other half are, are very vehemently, very yeah. opposed to it that, you know, it's a privilege to wear my program's Jersey. You will sure. not get that unless you choose us and make the team. Sure. Where do you sit there, man? Yeah. Ah, uh, boy. I, I mean, having worked with high school kids for 25 plus years, uh, I I'd be a fan of it. I mean, as, as a, as a college coach, um, I mean, heck a kid would do anything for a t-shirt, you know, and I, I just, I'm just saying they love gear. I think we've seen that trend, you know, just change the landscape of college sports, you know, is how many uniforms does your football team have? Um, how many different singlets does your track team have? And so, I mean, when I, when I went with my son uh, for a couple of college foot, uh, basketball visits, uh, the one school that really stood out for him in a, in a little swing of about four visits was the school that had the uniform in the locker room for him to put on and did a little photo shoot and, 
you know, I got to watch it make a big impact on my son. And so I, I think it is a, it's a neat deal for the kids and um, a chance for the university to show off what they're, you know, what they're providing. And, you know, you, you can always sit back and argue. And I, I understand where those other coaches are coming from of, you know, our, I hope our program is more than our uniforms, <laughs> you know, and I, I actually worked with a coach at, at uh, my last high school um, that was really good about, you know, perspective on what's important. And, you know, obviously people and coaches and kids are way more important than any uniform you'll ever put on. Um, but there is the, you know, still the kid that, I want to look good to play good, you know, kind of a mentality. And, and, you know, that's a big deal nowadays. So I'd probably say that I, and, and being kind of a gear guy myself, I, I probably fall on a fan of that side of things. You said a kid will do anything for a t-shirt. If you <laughs> follow me on Twitter, you know, I also am a big fan of, of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if, if your size will get you a t-shirt. Absolutely, man. Hey, look at me. I'm extra large all day, baby. Come on. Now. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is go to the gym in the mornings and I'll, whatever shirt I'm wearing the day, just, just to give that school a shout out, man. And yeah. I love it like all the way, like I certainly enjoy wearing my Oregon shirt. I'm we're so blessed to, you know, have been chosen for yeah. Oregon's new facility, but you know what? I get a kick out of wearing summer creek high school and sure. um, virginia wesleyan university that's just because to me it's not about the 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 it's not about whether you're at a big school power five etc it's about do you affect kids in a positive manner in this great sport and so i'm going to rep you if you do man i love it i love it um yeah it's interesting about the the uniform thing i uh i don't know when, when i was at mississippi state we, it hadn't reached, you know, I stopped coaching in 2005. It hadn't reached that part yet. Like Facebook had just come out. Right. So there wasn't social media, uh, really thank God <laughs> uh, for that. I don't know how I would have felt like I kind of, I see both sides of it. And I also see the, like, I'm a big loyalty guy. So like, if you go, let's use USC and UCLA, right. Two big rivals. So let's yeah. say you go on official visits for both of those schools and you take pictures wearing both those uniforms and you choose one of them still out there in the, uh, the uh, Twitterverse, if you will, is a picture of you and your rivals. That's right. That's just like, do you remember, did you hear about the, um, so I'm a big SEC guy, right? Growing up in Alabama and such. Uh, there was a kid who got, I might get it backwards. I think he got a roll tide tattoo in high school, grew up an yeah. Alabama fan, and then signed football, signed with Auburn. Ooh, blasphemy. <laughs> right? I, I was like, wow. How, how, like, how did he get accepted by his teammate? You've got a roll tie. There is no bigger rival. You got a roll tie tattoo. Like, dude. Yeah. Like somebody needed a little better advisement of that young man in high school. <laughs> yeah. Like I talk about a picture out there. You got a tattoo that ain't going to you. Yeah. Did he cover it up every day? I mean, that just seems yeah, like there, sure. there's like, as a, as a recruit, I'd be like, ah, I gotta be a little careful. Like maybe I take a picture every, everywhere I go with my visits, but yeah. I only publish whichever one I end up deciding on. Man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's a big deal. And I, I mean, I, I got to live through that a little bit being at the last high school I was at, we had some pretty prominent football players and, mm. you know, went on NFL guys and things like that. And so you see, you know, on those official visits and they just get decked out and they'll deck out their little brothers and they'll, you know, mom and dad. And really? um, it's just, you know, it, it is, it's that, you know, it's a total marketing ploy and, yeah. um, and probably pretty effective, you know, with that, with that demographic, right. you know, if it's me and you, we're probably seeing through that going, yeah, okay. You got cool t-shirts, but man, your coaches aren't very, you know, kind to your kids or, you know, right. whatever you're seeing a hole in mm -hmm. um, a t-shirt or a nice uniform is going to make up for that. So, but yeah. kids sometimes often can't see past that, you know, well, they, 
hindsight's 2020, right? At our age, yeah. we have the one thing you can't force and that's experience, right? We've, right. we've had those guys that are like, yeah, you look really good, but behind that mask, man, yeah. it ain't yeah, yeah. good, right? For we've sure. had, had that uh, experience. So uh, again, leveraging your 20 plus years of high school coaching, what, I don't want to say necessarily, what have you seen changing from college coaches recruiting the, the mm -hmm. different athletes you've had along the way, but maybe turn it around and say, what advice would you give college coaches? What are you seeing? Not naming any names, Brian. Okay. <laughs> but what are you seeing uh, college coaches maybe doing in the recruiting of their, of, uh, of, of high school athletes, specifically in your experience that you're just yeah. like, Hey man, you guys gotta, gotta cut this out or you need to change X, Y, and Z. How can we help coaches yeah. maybe do that part of their job a little bit better? Yeah. I mean, I think they do a phenomenal job. You know, uh, it's, it's a bit incredible and I've been so blessed to have some really high-end athletes and got to see some of that processing um, of, you know, top national kids like Mary Beth Sant, Anna Hall, um, Cole Sprout, you know, just to name a few that I was fortunate enough to be around during their recruiting process. And so you see coaches and some of them do it really well. And, and I'd say most of them do it really well. Uh, some of them have a little different approach to things. Um, and maybe they lean on facilities, uniforms, you know, history, stuff like that. I think the coaches that impress me the most that I would hope that all of them would be was that they would show who they are as, as, you know, people and their character and, you know, how they're going to take care of the kid and, um, because I don't know, I guess I'm just a coach that really dives deep with the kids relationally and, you know, feel like that's a huge component to success. And so um, I love it when I see a coach kind of open up of, you know, how their team is like a family and, you know, they're going to be taken care of in all fa facets of life, you know, not just on the track. And um, I think, you know, the really good ones that are out there, you, you definitely see that because they have success on the track and that, that happens more than just, you know, fast kids. Um, typically they're, they're, they're pretty tightly connected and those kids run through a brick wall for them. What's your opinion on, uh, boy, I just lost my train of thought there. Sorry. <laughs> uh, let's ask a different one. So, uh, this, this maybe I had a better question. Maybe the last one wasn't that good. I see a lot of times, and I don't know if it's more of that, um, maybe I'd call it virtue signaling, but I've seen coaches, and I don't know that I've necessarily seen on the track side, maybe I have, but definitely basketball, football, I see it. I'll see a post out there that says, hey, um, it was recruiting the number one kid in Colorado. Uh, they probably don't get that specific, but you know, recruiting the top recruit, and I saw their social media. And so I stopped recruiting. Does that actually happen in track and field? What I mean by that is if I'm recruiting, a, I'm, I'm going to go extreme here, a 10 flat hundred meter guy. And I see, a, I mean, it also depends on the post, I, you know, sure. let's say it's a bad post, but not, you know, he murdering someone, uh, right. but it's a bad post. I don't know that when I was a coach that I really would be like, Hey man, we're just going to stop recruiting you here. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of it is, um, I mean, I, I, I feel like I'm the kind of coach that, I mean, you got to have a, you got to have a, a bar of excellence that you're reaching for in, in regards to your character standards. But I also think too, that I'm a big second chance guy. And, you know, when you're dealing with, you know, young high school aged kids, man, they're going to make mistakes. Like you said earlier, I'm thankful there was no social media when I was growing up. I'm sure there's things that I, you know, would have done that would have embarrassed myself or my family. And um, I, like so how you said, <laughs> I, like, I like how you said, I'm sure there were. And the reality is, I know I did some things <laughs> that I'm so glad nobody got to see on social media. Yeah, no, there's no question. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you, you, you try to be graceful and, and yeah. know that, you know, gosh, we've all been given second chances and, you know, have a 
have a grace-filled life. So you, you want to be able to pass that on to, to other, you know, to young kids that are maybe making mistakes and stuff and give that an opportunity. So, I mean, yeah. And it's, I mean, I'm sure it's really hard in that situation. If you got a kid that's going to be a national qualifier, you know, that made a, a hiccup, you know, then you have to weigh out the, you know, are you bringing them in for the right reasons? Can you bring them in and maybe help them through that? And they're going to score you points at the conference meet and things like that. So, yeah, I don't think it's hard at all. I think you still sign that kid for, <laughs> for, for more than one reason, right? One is uh, you're exactly right. Like we were dealing with 18 year old individuals, yeah. their brains aren't even fully formed at this point. So, um, you know, give them a second and you know what, honestly, maybe they need a third, fourth, fifth chance. I, I, my hands raised here. I needed more than yeah. one one second chance here right uh and then the other side of it is if you are as their track coach and your environment around so your academic advisor your um uh, athletic trainer you know the, the whole environment of your facility if you're filled with a bunch of leaders well maybe that's exactly what that young kid needs maybe right. that you know they're not in a great situation and they need to see how to act on a daily basis, social media wise, uh, adult to adult, et cetera. So maybe, maybe you're the exact person they need, uh, yeah. and not to just cut them loose. Like maybe a lot of people in their lives have in the past. Well, and that was going to be the other, the other component to that is, you know, is does all that blame fall on the kid or does that kid, you know, is he growing up in a, in a tough situation? Does he not have a, a coach in his life that's been a positive role model. I mean, there, there's all kinds of things I see, you know, I got a good friend of mine out in California, JT Ayers at Tribuco Hills high school who's just a phenomenal human. And I've got to be around him and his program. And, you know, there's not a guy that cares more about kids or accountability or, you know, a good Christian upbringing for, you know, who he's working with. And, and so I don't think you're going to, you know, if a kid comes out of that program, you probably don't have to worry about, you know, any of that stuff happening. Uh, but some, but a lot of kids don't get the the blessing of being under a program like that. So you probably have to take a bigger look and, you know, hope that you can have some influence on that kid. If you got him in your program to, you know, keep him on the straight and narrow. Yeah. And shout out, you mentioned JT Ayers. What a great guy. I can't wait to yeah. meet him in person one day. I feel like we, we know each other. We're friends because of <laughs> social media, honestly. Yeah. Uh, and he also, you know, he is the host of a great podcast. It's called yeah. the on track and field podcast. I think he publishes on Tuesdays, I believe, but uh, if you like track, there's a, there, uh, he's got great guests on there. Uh, and I think he's running, uh, I think it's still going to be running by the time you're listening to this, he's running the, um, TFC, the Trek and Football Consortium, I think it is. Uh, Tony Holler, I think, is involved in that. Uh, I think he's interviewing like everybody who's on that's speaking at that. So what right. a great, great series. Right. They they do a lot more of the X's and O's. You know, we don't really talk about X's and O's here, but uh, right. but another, if you're if you're a podcast listener, go check out on Track and Field podcast hosted by JT Ayers. Man, it's a it's a great show. Um, so I remember my question that I, I blanked on. Okay. Well, okay. What's your thoughts on? coaches college coaches recruiting high school athletes uh pretty typical they're going to talk to the athlete um uh, you know it's like 100 percent, right they got to talk to the athlete to recruit them they're probably going to talk to the parents or guardians that's probably pretty you know pretty standard yep. uh i don't know that it's split 50 50 but there is some back and forth on do you actually talk to the coach about mm -hmm. the athlete? Some don't. I'll admit I didn't. I, I, if, if I talked to the coach, it was more about like, hey, I need contact information. Yeah, I, yeah. I was, I was pre-internet, you know, so I was still yeah. you know, trying to find people. Now it's easy, easier, yeah. I should say. Yeah. Um, so I didn't, but uh, there's other people that say, hey, it would tell me to my face, what a mistake. You better be talking to the track coach. What's your thought? Uh, and and yeah. maybe you're, maybe you're, um, um, Maybe it's not a great, because you're a high school coach. Maybe you're like, yeah, hell yeah, they need to be talking to me every time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I, uh, gosh, I think that's, that's a little bit of a loaded question because I, I mean, you would think that, yes, you'd want to talk to their high school coach, but I would imagine, you know, there's probably a, a certain percentage of coaches out there that, you know, maybe a college coach wouldn't necessarily trust like all the information or, you know, the experience level, or, you know, if you got some, I don't know, a guy that's just kind of padding his PERA and coaching, you know, on the side, uh, I don't know if that's the best guy to, to advocate for the kid. Um, you might, you might, you might steer clear. So a little bit of it's probably just having some background knowledge of who's, who's coaching. And, you know, I would, I would hope that I would have been a coach because I know I talked to many college coaches, not just about my own kids, but kids in our area from our state, you know, they'd want an opinion on um, from me. Um, but that took a lot of years of experience and, you know, relationships and things like that to get there. So I can see where some college coaches probably don't want to hear from maybe some, you know, coach that doesn't exactly know what, what they're doing so yeah i don't know i can see where it would be split a little bit i, I kind of on that first part you said there you know if i'm going to call a coach do i really expect the coach to tell me hey you know what little johnny you know we struggle with x y and z yeah be, and not only because of your own ego right and you know we've talked before ego is not necessarily a bad thing ego can be bad but ego is not bad right that's pride and uh you know taking uh pride in, your, in the work that you do yeah. but um but if the coach tells me like, you know, little Johnny does, you know, misses practices and it's always late for the bus. I start going, well, why is little Johnny still on your team then? Wait, yeah. I, like I, I, like I would start turning like, well, coach, talk to me about your program. Well, how do you run yeah. discipline and accountability? <laughs> like I start yeah. Yeah. It's, now it's like I'm counseling the coach instead of the athlete. Like, well, wait a minute. Right, right. Maybe little Johnny just needs guidelines here and you're not providing them. <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, you got to be, I mean, as a high school coach, I always felt like you had to be able to put your ego aside a little bit. It's always a feather in your hat to have a kid go to, you know, the University of Georgia and run track or, you know, whatever. But um, boy, if you, if you oversell a kid and, you know, maybe don't disclose everything and then they get to that university and, and, you know, then, then all of a sudden you've damaged a relationship that, you know, whether it's another kid down the road or just a future opportunity or, or just, you know, we're all track coaches. We, we, we love the sport. It's not a, you know, we're, none of us are getting rich or famous um, from it. And so I think it's a little bit of taking care of each other, you know, making sure that um, you're getting accurate information. So let's go back to your actual coaching, Brian. I appreciate your experience, you know, um, sure. 25 years on the high school level, man. That's a big deal. You've seen many, many kids uh, go on to colleges, big and small, right? And I, and I think that's just uh, so important to be able to leverage that experience that you have to help others. You know, um, our two goals here, I told you, you know, one is always, you know, to uplift and honor our yeah. guest, you hear today about what you've gone through uh, in this amazing journey in this profession, and then also to provide value for listeners, right? People listen, sure. you know, there's a, a high school coach in small town, Georgia right now. That's like, oh, wait a minute. I'm just starting out. Like I just finished school at Georgia tech and now I'm, I'm the head coach of such and such high school. Wait a minute. Brian's got some good ideas here. I should, I should leverage this. So it's always great to be able to leverage sure. that experience. Right? I appreciate, sure. appreciate that very much. So as you are going through 25 years of coaching and really, you know, fundamental coaching, right? A freshman that shows up and is never, they don't even know yeah. what pole vaulting is. And you think, man, you should be a pole vaulter. So I, I'm going to coach you pole vaulting. What did you do? You had a great base with dad and Scott Hall and other, you know, coaches that you've had. What did you do um, coaching education wise, professional development to continue perfecting your craft? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, again, I was blessed to be a decathlete. Right. And so I, I felt like I could coach any event, um, right out of the gates, um, going into college or I'm sorry, coming out of college into my first coaching job. 
Um, and that was, that was huge. I mean, and then I'd say the probably the, the second most valuable thing was trial by fire, just being, I mean, I've never been an assistant track coach. I was a head track coach at age 23. Mm. Um, and I had to figure everything out, you know, sometimes the hard way I had some great mentors, Mark Rogie at Greeley West high school was a phenomenal guy that had done it for many years before me. And then of course my dad and Scott, and, you know, I got to see some of that stuff, but, um, a lot of, a lot of mistakes made and, you know, just kind of figuring it out as I went along. And then I think the coach education wise, there's so many good programs out there and people that offer, you know, training opportunities and podcasts and things that you can get access to. Now, my most valuable experiences were reaching out to individuals uh, that I admired that I thought that I saw from, you know, I guess just from a young age, I would, I would point out somebody and say, that guy's doing it really well. You know, whether they're state champions every year or the way their kids would compete or run or, you know, you would just see trends of, of different individuals. You go, Hey, that, you know, that Tim McIntyre down at Longmont high school, those kids are freaking good every year. And I don't see, you know, just freak shows walking out of the sticks, you know, they these kids have been developed. And so I'm going to get in the car. I'm going to drive down to Longmont, take him out for a cup of coffee and ask him how he does things, you know? And I, and I did that quite frequently from age 23 to age, probably 28, um, and it, and it wasn't just local. I mean, it was, you know, I, I got relationships with, you know, people all over and I just wasn't afraid to pick up the phone and ask questions. And I think similar to me now jumping on a podcast with you or, or, or being involved with Tony Holler's group and, and stuff like that is, you know, being able to talk to coaches and give those young coaches some advice of, of which what direction to head, because people did that for me, you know, and I, and I really felt like I got to, you know, mold and model my programming and stuff. I mean, I, I always say I don't really have an original thought in my entire program, <laughs> but I was very fortunate to, you know, have some people and, and maybe in the Colorado community, because my dad was such kind of a prominent figure and, you know, they knew little, little Brian Kula was Murray's son. And, you know, I got to have access maybe to more guys, or maybe I just ran across great people that, that were willing to share information and stuff. And, um, I mean, I got to be one of the very few coaches to ever go sit in on Tony Wells practices in downtown Denver, you know, and and it was no, nothing more than me just being bold and saying, Hey, where do you practice? I'd love to come watch you. Your kids kick the dog tar out of every kid every year. So you're doing something really well. And, uh, you know, some of that's just that, I guess a little bit of humility of going, I don't know how to do it perfectly. Um, I want to get better. So let me come watch you do it. And I think my whole system, my whole program, my business model is, is based around, you know, tidbits from 15, 20 different really high level coaches that I just pilfered, you know, information from uh, over the years and then formulated my own thoughts around. So, you know, you mentioned a real legend that I'm not sure I'm going to say a lot of people know about, and that's Tony Wells. Uh, He was born too early. He, he needed podcast and social media. Uh, you know, I think of like, when you say a Tony Wells, I remember some of the great athletes that set, you know, high school, 60 meter national records and hundred meter records. And I think of Carol Smith Gilbert, who was a a Tony Wells protege. Um, I mean, what a, what a, not only an amazing coach, but also someone who before internet social, all this kind of, you know, access to information, like we've been talking about really affected a lot of other coaches, like there is a tree out there. I'm blanking. I've the Carol again is, is in my head. Curtis, Curtis Taylor up at Oregon. Yeah. Um, Curtis Carol. Taylor. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. Their, their coaching model, uh, 
you know, I mean, he's even, he even had effect on some of the stuff Clyde Hart did back. I mean, people don't realize that, but he, uh, uh, yeah, he had a lot of effect on a lot of different coaches and athletes. Yeah. I can't remember if Tony came to our camp at Chula Vista or if I saw a video, it would have been a VHS, Yeah, sure. (laughs) Uh, sure. but I remember the way he used to, the way he taught, there was something real specific about, you know, it's one thing to tell a kid something, right. But sometimes kids learn better by sound. And so he would clap out, or I think he, I think he, I think he actually made them say the word beep. So they would do their acceleration, you know, beep, 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 you know, that kind of thing. And that like, like something like, like I started coaching it that way. Like I started like using clap, I think clap is how I would do it, but just so like, Hey, you need to understand pushing through the acceleration and getting to the max velocity. Like, here's another way to maybe help you understand that. Like he, uh, like that's why I talk about when, you know, a coach is at middle of nowhere, big school, power five, NAIA, it doesn't matter that you can affect people and, and you may never know Tony. Well, I guarantee you, Tony. Well, I never got the opportunity to meet Tony. Well, so Tony Wells has no idea that he helped my coaching career. Right. Right. Uh, and, and more than likely someone uh, came to see me coach, or, you know, I would mentor someone when I was coaching, I probably passed that along to them, you know, yeah. kind of your, your idea of like, there is no original thought. I, I love that by yeah. the way, as long yeah. as you're always thinking there is no original thought, right? Like right. That, right. That, that feels like some Kaba Tolbert, Kaba, that might be a quote for you, man. That sounds like that was some Yoda stuff right there, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as you're always thinking there's no original thought. Oof. <laughs> I got to make sure Kaba knows about that one. That was a good one. Um, uh, that, um, you know, the effect that you have is, is exponent. If you're positive with what you're doing on your coaching, your effect is exponential. You, you'll never be able to calculate the thousands of people, not just in track and field, but you know, here we're talking specifically track and field. That's awesome. Yeah, Tony, Tony might've been, he might've been the best track coach that no one ever really knew about. Right. I mean, you know, and he, he chose to stay in the club youth, you know, world. Um, but man, did he develop some unbelievable athletes and, unbelievable. and his, some of his training principles uh, I fell in love with because they a lot of them aligned with what my dad did mm-hmm. back in the 80s. You know, he was a big like Russian, Eastern European model, you know, type of power output mm-hmm. stuff and speed, you know, was 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 marquee. And so, I mean, and that's where I'm at today. I mean, the way I train kids today is was very much impacted by how Tony trains kids. And, um, you know, and he stuck with his system for 30, 40 years, never, never faltered. You know, there was never a volume ad or tempo runs. I mean, that guy stuck with speed and power and created, I remember he used to have a letterman's jacket and on the back of it, he had embroidered, um, a national, every time a kid broke a national record in his club program. And that that thing was covered on the entire back of national records. So, I mean, you know, he was doing something right. And again, I, you know, the reason I bring that up was just, you know, you asked about education Mm -hmm. and I mean, the, the five or six practices that I went and sat in and listened and talked to and tried to understand what they were doing and stuff was, you know, a hundred times more valuable than I could have ever bought a book or a, gone to a mm-hmm. clinic on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I really was, I would say kind of sort of self-educated, yeah, you know, cool. through, through just reaching out and watching how, and, and up until the last year of my high school coaching career, I was still reaching out to Vince Anderson and Dan Paff and, you know, talking to, talking to guys, Ralph Jones and my buddy of mine out in North Carolina and guys that just do things really well and say, you know, well, I'm kind of, I'm second guessing myself here a little bit. You know, I don't know if this is perfect for this, you know, and, and your environment changes and we're a cold weather state. So you can't do the same things as old JT does out there in sunny California. And, you know, so you're just always hopefully continuing to, to educate and learn. And I think that's, that's critical for, for education. You talked about maybe second guessing yourself on some training things and we don't 
top training. So, but yeah, think, yeah. Of a, think of the other aspect though, Brian, uh, through 25 years of coaching high school, being a head coach at what is it? Four different stops, three different stops. Yeah. Three different stops. Yeah. Was there anything that you second, you know, looking back now, again, that's, you know, it's so valuable, right? The experience, you can't force it. So you, you, you lived 25 years looking back at it now, was there anything that you second guessed yourself on how you ran the program? I'm thinking of things like, um, you know, there's discussions around, should I have captains on my team? Mm-hmm. Um, there's discussions around that, um, you know, the whole team should warm up together and then the distance kids go off, things like yeah. that, bus rides, uh, meet, um, what meets you went to or didn't go to, et cetera. Anything that you look back, you're like, yeah, you know what? I wish I could have done a little bit better job of. Yeah. Um, again, I think that's that whole evolution piece. I feel like we kind of found a really good formula over the last probably 10 or so years. And, um, you know, we, we trained different ways at different schools and over different periods of time. And, you know, the common denominator is, you know, I've found is typically not the training program necessarily. It's probably more of, you know, the culture of your program and the relationships you have with kids. And, um, I, I give the example, I know we don't talk training, but in, in 09, we were a high volume program. Just I'll leave it at that. And we won it. We won the boys and girls state five, eight championships. And then fast forward, maybe eight years to, to Valor Christian high school. And we were a 100% speed power output, no tempo, no volume whatsoever. And won the boys and girls five, a state championship. And so, um, you know, when you ask about, you know, would we do things different? Yeah. I'd love to go back, you know, 23 years and start over with, you know, kind of where we ended things of, you know, honoring every kid. And, you know, I was fortunate to be at a Christian school the last 12 years and to have that be a a part of who we were of, you know, raising kids up spiritually and, and, uh, relationally. And I think that makes a big difference in, in, you know, how you can have even the, the success that you're looking for on a track. So, um, would I do things a little different that way? Yes. Um, but I don't regret, you know, hardly anything. I think I always, I always put the kids first. Um, I never really concerned myself too much about other programs or what everyone else was doing. Um, I was going to try to take care of the kids that I was, you know, entrusted with and work hard for them and create great opportunities for them. And so I did the best I could when I was 23, probably missed the mark a few times. Um, and then got to a pretty good place by the time I was 48. <laughs> Speaking of culture, and I'm gonna put you on the spot. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask the question and then give you some time to think about it. Sure. Um, what are some unique things that you did for the athletes for culture? And I'm not talking about training, of course, here. And maybe I'll give you an example as you're starting to kind of think so I can help guide you to where I'm trying to go with this. Sure. Um, I saw this really cool. I don't know what school does this. I think there's several schools now. Um, they'll take the, they call it the PR plate, right? Or, you know, they'll like maybe a kid uh, has jumped 18, 11 and their goal is, is 19 feet in the long jump. And so they'll have a, a plate that says 19 foot or whatever. And so when they, when they break the rec, break the, the PR, they physically break the, like, it's a big deal to like shatter yeah. the plate. Yeah. Right. I thought that was so cool. That is uh, cool. Football, you know, thing, something that started out uh, kind of that same Avenue was the turnover chain at Miami. Like now look at that. That's yeah. everywhere. It's, it's overdone now, by the way, there's yeah. not, yeah. there's some not so unique things going on out there, but so yeah. did you do anything as we, you know, again, just trying to leverage your experience and try to think of how can I drive culture into my program? Anything that you guys did unique wise for the athletes in that kind of realm? Yeah. You know, in 25 years, um, I probably missed the mark on some of that kind of stuff. And I, I look at my buddy JT out in California and he does such a great job with team culture and some really cool traditions and things like that. I'd say my best traditions came out of my time at Valor, you know, where we would, we, we would actually baptize kids 
which is not exactly, you know, track and field related, but it was a huge part of our program and who we For were. Sure. Um, you know, we, we would do fun stuff. Like, I mean, we, we, I can, I guess I can disclose this now as a, as I've retired, but we were, we'd always run with gold batons and our school colors were blue and, you know, baby blue and Navy blue. And we ran with gold batons because it signified first place. Right. Yeah. You know, we, we, we ran to win and relays were a really big deal to our team and our program. And it was a big deal if you could make the four by four or the four by one team. And, um, you know, so I, I think we did a pretty good job of, of expectation and culture and, you know, a, a bar of excellence. And it, you know, it wasn't acceptable to lose a four by four relay. Didn't matter if it was a, tiny little invitational or the state championships, man, we were, we were going after that sucker. So um, I think we, we had some things culture wise, you know, we had a top five list that we kept very accurately from the time I opened up uh, the doors at Valor. And that was a big deal. You know, we, we, our, our school records at uh, Valor would rival a lot of schools in the nation only being, you know, 12, 13 years old. Um, we had wow. some unbelievable marks, you know, 11, 11 37 in the hundred meters for the girls um, <laughs> wow. You know, we had a, you know, Anna Hall jump six feet in the high jump. And so just, you know, a lot of success. And so to get on the top five was kind of a big deal. Um, yeah. we didn't even have a school record board, uh, cause we were such a new school. Had we put it up, you know, at year five, we would have probably redefined the thing three times over. So, um, but we did keep pretty accurate tabs on that. We'd always honor that at the end of the year and things like that. But, uh, yeah, JT has some great ideas and does some really cool things in regards to, I like the idea about, you know, actually physically breaking a record. That's kind of cool. And yeah. um, I don't know, ours, we took a ton of pride in, you know, team successes, league championships, state championships, right. things like that. And we'd, we'd get our, our kids to rally around that stuff. Yeah. I'm thinking about like um, maybe cross country is one of the greatest examples of where they do like the thousand mile over the summer shirts and stuff like, you know, yeah. the thousand mile club yeah. and stuff. That's uh, just like that, yeah. that kind of stuff. That's really cool. Um, yeah. I love school record boards for, for multiple reasons, not just because, you know, you, you see Valor Christian, you're like, Oh my God, their, their school records 1137 for the <laughs> girls hundred. That's amazing. But I like seeing like where the, I'm gonna say the gaps are like, you know, you'll see great sprint school. Then you'll see, you know, school records, five minutes for the mile for the boys. And it's like, Oh, wait a minute, what's happening there? Yeah, 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 yeah for if, sure. Then if you know, like uh, if a, if a really good kid came from a school and they don't hold the school record for whatever reason. So I was at Montana, Montana, I'm going to get it wrong. It's either Montana or Montana State. I'm going to go with my, oh man, he's going to get mad at me. Lance Deal went to school at either Montana or Montana sure. State. Montana State, I'm going to go with that one. Yeah. And so I went and visited the school about five, six years ago and they had the school record. And I was like, oh, it's Lance Deal, American record holder in the hammer. Yeah. He's got the hammer school record and he didn't. And I was like, <laughs> and it wasn't like the school record was like, a billion feet it was pretty pedestrian i was like well, wait a minute that doesn't make sense he did have the discus school record um and then i dug into it and actually had him on the podcast uh way back in the day go back and listen to lance deal's podcast it was amazing he's an amazing human being he's actually if i remember correctly sixth on the hammer list at college and i love that because that means he wasn't all that great right right but he decided and again you got to go listen to the podcast if you google um, lance deal gill podcast it'll bring it up for you uh or in your uh podcast app i guess search there uh for it um but that means and he tells the story amazingly he wasn't all that great but he felt like he could be great and so he decided i'm gonna go i'm gonna try to i'm gonna go all in for a set amount of time, if he said a year or two years, he moved to Oregon and trained with, um, 
all the all the throws coaches are mad at me right now because I cannot think of the very famous, very awesome coach that was up at Oregon. Uh, but he went up to him, slept on his couch, and was like, make or break. I'm either going to do it or I'll go back to the real world, right? And he becomes the American record holder or medalist in the Olympic. You know, I, I love that. So I love school record boards for that reason. Just like they tell they tell a story that is just sure. fascinating to me. Fascinating. Sure. What about culture with your staff? So you've been a head coach. You were a head coach at 23. I, I almost said I couldn't imagine that, but I was actually, I beat you. I was a head coach at 20. Um, I should not have been the head coach at 20. <laughs> that, that's part of my kids. Like, I'm so sorry. I had no idea yeah, what I was doing. I'm so yeah, sorry. Please yeah. forgive me. Um, but you've got, you know, so, but you've developed right from 23 to call it 45, you've developed as a head coach. What did you do culturally for your assistant coaches in regards to their development? Uh, yeah. did you keep them, you know, underneath your thumb? They'll never be head coaches because they're going to be here and be the best assistant coach for me. Were you more of a blessings coach? Like, Hey, I want you to become a head coach one day. If that's in your story, how are you with your staff? Dear Lord, I hope none of my staff, uh, present or for past is listening to this right now. They'd be destroying me. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I, uh, again, probably in the evolution of, you know, being a head coach probably did a pretty poor job early on of, you know, and, and I think probably throughout my career, um, you know, was a pretty good micromanager, um, you know, having, <laughs> having, uh, expectations and, you know, here's how I think it should go. And, you know, my experiences being fairly well-rounded across all the events um, gave me some pretty strong opinions on how things were supposed to go. Uh, but I think the, you know, the older I got, um, I kind of realized a little bit of, you know, you have to empower your coaches, you know, they, they have to feel like they're having an impact. And um, obviously you, you have to be the buck stops here guy sometimes. And uh, if things aren't excellent, then you, you know, you have to be able to address those things. Uh, but I think, you know, empowering them and then giving them some reins and, and letting them, you know, feel some success with the athletes that they're training and coaching is a, is a huge deal. Um, I also think that having a, having some camaraderie amongst your coaching staff is a huge deal as well. And I know for the last maybe 10, 12 years of my career, I was very intentional with, you know, off the track, get togethers. Um, let's travel, you know, as a team, um, we'd like you to come with us when we travel, uh, kind of a environment just, just to, you know, know each other aside from, you know, the X's and O's of what's going on at practice every day. So, um, when you have that really, it's the same thing with the kids, you know, the whole reason I used to start 1996, 97, I trekked 20 plus kids in a van across the country to California to run at a track meet. And, and I remember my AD questioning, like, why are we going to California for a track meet? There's plenty of track meets around here. And my whole intent of the deal was just to get to know the kids off the track, you know, see them in a van for 14 hours, you know, be around them at dinner in a hotel and, and stuff like that. And, and just, you know, the memories and the, the uh, trust that they gain in each other in those in situations. And so I think staff wise, team wise, those are, those are really important components to a culture of, you know, it's not just from three to five every day. How did you handle, you talked about your own development of coaching, you know, long to short and things like that. How did, did you ever have a situation where an assistant coach was like, Hey coach, you're not doing any tempo runs. Our sprinters, come on. Like when I, where I went to school, we had to do repeat miles or whatever. That's probably a true story out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not good. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> did you ever have that kind of, I'm going to call it a conflict, but like a difference sure, in sure. opinions and training and how did you handle that? 
Yeah, I think I probably over the years had a couple of those. Um, I think that, you know, I've spent an inordinate amount of time being able to explain our system and, and why we do it. So I, I'm very proactive on the front end of, you know, guys, here's how we do things. Here's why we do things. If you have questions, let's talk them through. I think probably 95% of the time that just resonated with coaches. They understood it. They bought into it. Uh, every now and again, you'd have, you know, one that one maybe uh, that didn't totally align. And I think probably fortunately for me, those, we either had natural segues where that coach would just, you know, leave the next year or whatever. I don't really feel like I ever had to, you know, dismiss anybody or have sit down conversations. And so uh, really tried to run my high school program over the years, like a college program where I'd empower, you know, the distance coach would take all the distance kids and we'd see them on Saturdays. You know, I, I wouldn't see them much during the week and same with our throwers and um, so we didn't, you know, all show up at three o'clock and run a lap together and mm -hmm. like a, maybe more of a traditional high school program. We really ran it to where I felt like it was the best situation for the kids training wise, getting to know their coach. Um, you know, I, it was important for me to know the throwers and the distance kids as the head coach, mm -hmm. but uh, they needed to be intimate with, you know, with who was leading and, and them. And they had their own little subculture within, you know, our team culture. And I think it worked out pretty well for us. So I think what, you know, bringing it up to present, Brian, you know, what you're doing now or running your own business, like that is one of the most, like, I have so much admiration for that. Like, you know, I look at our owner here at Gill Athletics. I'm like, man, you just must not sleep at night. Like, <laughs> I know I'm worried about some things, but you own the joint, man. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's so risky. Right. Yeah. Um, so I just have so much admiration, the courage and, uh, guts that you have to have for that. And I know from talking to coaches around the country, uh, a lot of people wish and want to do what you do, not, maybe not necessarily a performance center, which although that runs hand in hand with like track coaching, but they want to, you know, get out of coaching. They almost feel trapped like, oh, you know, I make so much money now or, um, you know, I don't know what else could I do. How does how does this experience of, you know, 30 plus years now, right? So not only all your coaching, uh, you know, post-collegiate uh, um, practice and competing, but your collegiate career growing up as a, a coach's kid, how how does that all wrap up and and has helped you, you know, yeah. take that leap of faith and and own your own you know start your own business and grow your own business? Yeah, well, it's it's there's a couple buckets there, um, and one of them I know you and I had talked about about the indoor track that we're building um, as part of a foundation that I'm working for, and uh, and it goes hand in hand because there there was there's an opportunity there um, as a kind of the chief operations officer in that foundation to, you know, set into motion a, an indoor track facility that we're building here in Denver. Um, we're hoping it's going to be the fastest track in the world. Um, we got the guys from Mondo working on the design and, um, you know, the buildings, you know, we, we could be 14, 18 months away from, you know, breaking ground and getting that thing going. So uh, that coupled with, you know, having a sports performance facility going, um, I guess the two of them together kind of gave me the confidence to, to jump in. And, you know, I had, a, had a little bit of flexibility that way and had, had kind of run a long, long career as a coach. Uh, it was scary. I'm not going to lie, you know? Um, but fortunately, you know, the, the foundation was very good to me in regards to, you know, employment. And that gave me a little bit of, of flexibility on, you know, Hey, we're going to start our business. And, and really, I mean, of all the bad things that came out of the lockdown, you know, pandemic, um, that was a time where I really kind of took my business from, you know, that's kind of a side get hustle to we're going to do this full time. I was, everyone was locked in their houses. I was grinding 12, 14 hour days at the park, 
and at a facility, local facility here that had some medical clearance. And so we were able to continue to train some of the pro athletes and we grew into some high school kids and whatnot. And so we were, we were able to kind of hit the ground running. It's not like we just opened our doors and said, Hey, please come here. Um, I was working probably three or four different jobs um, for, you know, basically 2020 of, you know, trying to figure out, okay, we want to build this indoor track. I'm running a sports performance business. I'm still the head track coach at Valor Christian and, you know, and something was going to have to give. And so there's a lot of prayerful decisions around, you know, what's next and just really, um, I guess, enjoyed the pursuit of a business opportunity. And yeah, it takes some, it takes some fortitude, that's for sure. And there's been some sleepless nights. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but I think the vision of what we're trying to do with the big, the big track presence here in Denver and, and then with, with what I wanted to do with my sports performance thing and, it, and God's just blessed the whole thing. So I, I've, I've just really been kind of the, I think the hands and the feet and trying to try not screw it up, you know. Yeah, you know, there's some been some really big businesses that have come out of really down economic times. You yeah. think of Netflix, you know, they started around um, 07, 08, when the big housing crash, they came up right. and look what they are now. Uh, yeah. Do you remember the last um, pandemic we had, you know, the, the flu of, of 1918? Remember, remember that one? I'm I'm old, but I don't remember it. Well, you, you know, it was 1918 is the big year. That was the last time we had a big pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's also exactly the year that Harry Gill started Gill Athletics. You're kidding. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of, I don't want to call it funny because, you know, the pandemic was not nothing. Sure, funny, sure. But it's like out of, you know, bad economic times, great businesses grow. Wow. So it's, it's awesome to see, you know, the start of something here in this yeah. you know, bad economic time through the, through the pandemic, man. That's amazing. Yeah. That really yeah, is. it's been cool. We've had, you know, we, we, we got 10 trainers that all have jobs that are doing great. And, you know, I feel really good about that. I don't know, I don't know how much money we'll ever make. Um, but, you know, you feel pretty good about employing people and giving yeah. a great product to clients and stuff like that. And, uh, and we're super excited about, you know, the, the indoor track potential. I'm sure hopefully some listeners here that'll, you know, have some interest in that because um, we're hoping to provide something that's very unique in the, in the world, actually. Yeah, well, you're going to do that. That's, uh, we're just going to speak that into existence, you know, talk to you about that project. It's going to happen uh, yeah. and it's going to affect so many people. Like the number of people you think it's going to affect it, times 10 times 100, man, it's it's going to be great. And it's going to be, um, you know, really the uh, not the start, but it's going to be a part of the puzzle of your legacy of what you've done uh, in the sport of track and field, Brian. Cool. Awesome, man. Thank you. Appreciate that. Well, thank you, man. You know, uh, it's always, it's kind of funny, you know, we, we talk about how these podcast interviews kind of go like a bio podcast and autobiography yeah. and, you know, it kind of, and this is why, you know, I talked to you about, we don't do a lot of research because I like to see where it goes. And I love that this turned into like a leverage of your 20 plus years of coaching high school, <laughs> man. I think there's just so much value there uh, for listeners. And I think, you know, this is going to be one of those uh, podcast interviews that, you know, resonates for quite a while, you know, people say, Hey, I'm just getting into coaching or, Hey, I'm kind of feeling stuck. It's like, Hey man, go back and listen to Brian Kula on, on the Gill podcast. He, there's a lot of, a lot of knowledge spit out today, man. It's, it's awesome. I'm just awesome. so thankful. I appreciate you having me on. What a, what a great opportunity. Love, love this sport. Love the, you know, your guys' company and um, everybody that's listening. Just appreciate you taking the time. Awesome, man. Brian, thank you so much. Again, the most valuable thing that you can ever give me is your time. So, uh, you know, we did, uh, yeah, we did about an hour and a half. That's pretty, pretty good, man. That's that might be on the shorter side. We'll have to get you back for a part two. We got might have to get. Uh, it'll be fun to do like maybe like a um, 
I don't know what I would call it, but a, a, a duel like you and JT together. Oh, yeah, I, I, gotta, I gotta get JT on here one day, man. He's just, too... you get JT and I on, you better pencil in more than two hours. Uh, hey, the record, <laughs> the record, I think is just at four hours. So okay. <laughs> uh, I'm a long haul guy, man. We can make it happen. Captain. Let me tell you, All right. <laughs> everybody listening right now is like four hours. Come on, Mike, you're killing yeah, me. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But man, Brian, thanks again. I really do appreciate just love your uh, openness and authenticity, authenticity today. And, you know, talking about the highs and the lows you know things that you struggle with because i think that's again what's going to help listeners you know to help them grow and again this is part of your impact right there's coaches that you'll right. never know that listen today right. that are going to be impacted or at least going to find out who tony wells is if, if we did nothing sure, today sure. <laughs> please go look up tony wells man what a great uh coach uh in person that we had uh in this great sport so man brian thank you so much for being here today Appreciate it, Mike. Thanks so much. God bless. Absolutely, man. Thank you for being here today listening, man. It's uh, it's not lost on me that you spent an hour and a half today and sometimes two hours. And uh, every once in a while, I'll throw a, a little one at you and just do only an hour for you. And I'm just so thankful that you'd be here with us uh, on the Gale Athletics podcast and listening week after week. Uh, it just amazes me. And I'm just so humbled by that. Uh, again, part of the goal here is to give value to others. So if you receive value today, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that someone else in your network would probably receive value from listening to Brian's story. So uh, share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, whatever else you crazy kids are doing. I don't know. I'm still a text and email guy, but that works too. You can share it through text and email, uh, but share it with someone else and give them value and show up next week, man. We're going to do it again. We're going to have another amazing coach and talk about their journey and connect them with you. So thanks a lot and have a great week.